Hey guys, this is Brian from Beyond the Pond. Just a quick disclaimer before we get to the episode. This was recorded before the murder of George Floyd, the subsequent peaceful protests, and the police brutality which has engulfed our country. The episode doesn't avoid this subject. It was just recorded before the most immediate unrest we're witnessing. We at Beyond the Pond and Osiris Media stand in solidarity with those who are protesting police violence and inequality across the country. We held off on new episodes to allow the voices of those who are active in this movement to be heard before adjusting our schedule to honor it. We do want to continue with our mission to bring new music content to you. If you need more time and don't want to tune in right now, we totally understand. We hope you are well and hope to see you soon. On to the show. Welcome to Past, Present, Future Live, a new podcast from Osiris Media. I'm RJB. We created Past, Present, Future Live to help us understand the artists behind the music and art that we love. It's the story of an artist's musical journey told in four parts. From the early days... Rubber Soul. Led Zeppelin Three, The Alley Cat by Bent Fabric. Nowhere Man. My brother had a band and like girls would come over. Da-da-dee, da-da-da. I was like, what? The Meters. The Kingston Trio. Bands that had the badass drummers. Man, that's the coolest thing ever. Cream and The Who. The Beatles became mine. Black Sabbath and Leonard Cohen. My parents could never possibly understand them. To personal and professional breakthroughs. I didn't know how to make a good distorted guitar sound. Hey, man, you guys want to come in and, like, check out Soundcheck? It was kind of like a middle finger to the cooler-than-now grunge movement. I was like, hey, man, we just got the opportunity of a lifetime. Starting at the Knitting Factory, playing for, like, 50 people, not even. And we just felt like, you know what, let's start our own club. To what's pushing them toward the future. Things are changing, you know. It makes sense for me to, like, just be me now. Sometimes you hear stuff really sounds so good, you, like, want to bite into it. Ten years ago, it was like, what the hell is this? I want to create something every day. That is the thing that gives me a reason to keep waking up. Each episode closes with an exclusive live performance from our guest, inspiring us to discover their catalog through a deeper and more personal connection. I'm really excited to be bringing you these interviews every week. Our first episode featuring Eric Krasno will be released on Tuesday, June 2nd. Subscribe now via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The global health crisis we're facing right now has threatened the livelihood and mental health of countless musicians. Backline is the music industry's mental health and wellness resource hub, and their work is more vital than ever. Launched in 2019, Backline aims to give artists, crew, and their families quick and easy access to mental health and wellness resources. Backline is currently hosting virtual support groups as well as yoga, meditation, and breathwork sessions. Osiris is proud to partner with Backline. To donate, learn more, or to get in touch for personalized care, visit backline.care. Again, that's backline.care.
Hey folks, I'm David Goldstein. Hi, I'm Brian Brinkman. And holy fucking shit, you're tuned in to episode 100 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. My god, this is the podcast which, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of getting a listener to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands because we love Fish. We are fish fans. We have been fish fans, especially in quarantine. We need all the fishy comfort food we can get. But sometimes fish fans get a bit myopic, and we are trying to do something about that. We absolutely are, and we absolutely have been. And it's been a hell of a journey to get to this point. I still remember trying to come up with what we were going to talk about on episode one to deciding who our first guest was going to be to deciding our favorite albums of the year to starting to come up with bonus episodes to recording a live episode. It has been a hell of a journey. It has been a ton of fun. I've learned a lot about you, Dave. I've learned a lot Mm. about myself. I've learned a lot about music. It's been awesome. And uh, here in episode 100, we have a really fun episode lined up here for you guys that uh, the idea came to us from one of our favorite listeners from one of our favorite guests, Mr. Scotty King. This is a beyond the pond. Ask BTP anything episode. We've been soliciting questions over the last couple of weeks, but we couldn't know what these questions were. These questions had to come to us like a jam. Like, you know, when Trey is deep in the moment and there's this question, is he going to segue into free or are we going for like another 10 or 15 minutes of jamming? And so to do that... He's probably going to segue into free. We're not going to tonight, though. Because we brought on one of our friends, one of our inspirations, one of the greatest people that we have worked with on this podcast. Probably, according to my parents, one of the greatest people in my life because he's written so many of the songs that I love. Mr. Tom Marshall, how are you doing? (laughs) That was uh, probably the most unusual, and yet uh, uh, I feel very humble uh, right now. An amazing (laughs) introduction. Thank you so much. That's nice, and uh, nice of uh, your mom to say that about me, too. (laughs) But uh, uh, I do want to say on behalf of Osiris, uh, congratulations to Brian and Dave for 100 episodes. This is a real milestone. I'm a podcaster, and for a while there, I thought that I was podcasting a lot. And uh, I'm only at 65. And, uh, you know, I started, I think I'm in my third season, meaning third year. I don't really keep track of seasons. But uh, you guys have just been workhorses, just killer workhorses. And I really, uh, you know, everyone in Osiris appreciates it. You're a cornerstone of Osiris. And thank you and congratulations. Thank you, man. That means a lot. I think I just want to share some of... um... We had other names for Beyond the Pond. There was like a list of names that we crossed out. I think one of them was... There's <laughs> 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 a chance it was going to be called Beyond the Bowl. You know, like jumping out of the fishbowl. Yeah. I think we were just going to combine our two last names, call it like the Brinkstein Pod or the Gold Man Pod, but no. I mean, Gold Man Jams was going to be the name at one point. That was Old my... Man. That was my that was my leading name for a while, and then Beyond the Pond we just settled on. Gold Man Jams. That kind of sounds like an Israeli jam band. 
Old men James. You know. <laughs> there are a lot of uh, you know Jewish fish fans, so maybe that oh, would yeah. appeal to them more or something. I'm not sure, but I I should say something about your guys' appeal. Uh, your tremendous uh, fish knowledge and your tremendous music knowledge, encyclopedic music knowledge. Uh, the whole point of this podcast is to share it with others, and it's amazing that you do it. And uh, I've been a direct beneficiary of your knowledge, and it's a great thing what you guys are doing. So I think Beyond the Pond uh, kind of tells what, what it is, and I think it's a great name. So just uh, we always talk about themes. So the themes we're going to explore in this episode include three years of Beyond the Pond. We've learned a lot, I think. And major gratitude. But first, before we get into the meat of the episode, we have to give a, a bunch of thanks to the guests of our first 100 shows. I'll just kick it off. So, I want to give a lot of thanks and gratitude to Jonathan Hart, Josh Carver, RJB, one of uh, our boss at Osiris, Tom Marshall, Ben Greenfield. Keeping it rolling here with Mr. Stephen Hyden, Kathleen Hinkle. Ryan Nichols, two-parter on YouTube with Ryan Nichols, Joel Cummins, Humphreys McGee, Grayson Haver-Curran, one of our favorite guests that we've had on. Jacob Cohen, awesome fish fan and musicologist, all-around nice guy. Ben Greenfield, once again. Conrad Doucette, Rob Mitchum of uh, Osiris Pod, 36 from the Vault. Stephen Hyden, once again. Keeping it rolling with Mike and Dom at Beyond Beyond is Beyond. Mr. John Hart again when we ventured off and did a Grateful Dead episode. All caps, Tim Showalter of Strand of Oaks. Jesse Jarno, Chris Forsyth. Mike Lawn Memo Menio. With, uh, we did a Radiohead deep dive with that guy. It was a very, very fun episode. He's awesome. Ben Greenfield again. Ben kind of steps in. We can't think of anybody else to come, but uh, he's great. Scotty King has become a good friend of ours. This episode is for you. Jim Hankey out in Nashville. Brian Lee Weaver and the Red-Headed Stranger, one of uh, our good friends and an incredible chef, incredible Nashvillian. And Riley Walker and Ryan Jewell. Keeping it rolling with some uh, Broadway folk. Kevin Finkel, David Resmer. Elizabeth Nesselrod, Stephen Hyden, once again, our annual guest to count down our five favorite sets of the year. Mr. Sean Doolittle, Kevin Finkel, again, Dr. Kevin Finkel, an absolute American hero working the front lines of COVID-19. PJ Rudolph helped us out with our pavement deep dive rest uh, just recently. Robert Kerr just talked about the uh, 522-2000 ghost with us. Tom Marshall, he's here. Once again, yep. This will be my third. This will be my third time on Beyond the Pond. Third time with the pond. Rob Brennan, our logo designer. Love to give a huge thanks to the entire crew at Osiris Media. Without them, there is no Beyond the Pond. This deep into our journey. Uh, thank you to all of our fans for listening and interacting with us on Twitter as well as all of our friends for their support, as well as their ribbing as we uh, went through this whole process of getting a podcast underway. Thank you to our wives and our kids. They let us do this. 
yeah, my wife lets me do this. When I kind of go into the podcast room, she just gives me kind of a wink and a nod and says, see ya. And usually when I'm done, she's passed out in bed with the lights out, which is kind of weird. I say, honey, you can turn the light out. It's okay. But she falls asleep with the lights on. And uh, <laughs> last but not least, unfortunately, two episodes served as memorials for uh, individuals we lost, sadly, unexpectedly, far too young. So... Much love to David Berman and Anthony Bourdain. And we also sort of did an episode with Scotty King, kind of about, uh, about Gordon Downey. Yes. The, tra- the uh, tragically hip, who I think died in 2016. So. On that note, let's get to the, the AMA portion of this show. And we have no idea what we're about to be asked. Right. These were, I gather, culled from Twitter. I, I received a list from uh, one of uh, the Osiris guys of a bunch of questions, and uh, he and I kind of went through them. Um, we didn't cut any. Uh, I'm not sure if there was a stage where he cut a few, but anyway, there's about 14, 15, 16 people that uh, added questions, and some of them are multiple part, and I think we can, I think we can probably <laughs> handle these quickly, though, believe it or not. I think they're sort of... Uh, some of them go really deep, but these are pretty succinct and they're awesome and they're really good questions. So I think, I think they'll all generate some, some, uh, interesting answers. And the cool thing about it, as, uh, Brian said, uh, you guys don't know what I'm about <laughs> to ask you, what your fans want to know about you. <laughs> so, no, uh, should we dive right, right in without any ado? On. Yeah. Let's dive right on in. Okay. You guys mentioned... Mr. Scotty King, he's on Twitter as at Mr. Scotty King, and uh, we'll just start with him. Seems appropriate, and believe it or not, he added a note to his question that he almost forgot to submit these questions, even though it was his idea. <laughs> so here we are with his first question, and you guys mentioned your wives already. What are each of your wives' dream concerts? I know okay. this. You want to go first? Yeah. Uh, my wife's absolute dream concert is to see Pearl Jam. Um, I've seen them once, and she was incredibly jealous at the time. And then about five years later, a week after we got married, we were in Chicago seeing Bruce Springsteen at Wrigley Field. And Eddie Vedder walked out on stage and sang Atlantic City with Springsteen. And I've seen my wife smile. Like, my wife is as big of a fish fan as I am. I've seen her smile, that ridiculous, contagious, stupid smile that everybody gets at a fish show. I saw that exact same smile here, and I was like, at some point we have to see Pearl Jam. I don't know why it hasn't happened yet to this point, but that is her absolute a little country store with a sign tied to the side Said no L-O-I-T-E-R-I-N-G-A line Underneath that sun congregated quite a crowd 
I just saw that Pearl Jam, I think on June 7th or June 10th, are doing um, a live stream concert, a COVID benefit that's going to be um, live streamed. I don't know if it's free, but it's going to be the entire band. So I'm psyched for that. I will gladly sit on my couch and watch Pearl Jam. That'll be awesome. So my live stream concert. Um, well, let's see. If we're going to go fantastical, talk about people living and dead. I know my wife is a huge, huge, huge Jeff Buckley fan. Um, the fact that when we first met and started dating, I was amazed at the amount of Jeff Buckley CD bootlegs and reissues and weird Jeff Buckley memorabilia stuff that she had. Of course, Buckley only famously had one studio album called Grace. It's an incredible album. It's quite classic. So I guess in terms of living or dead, I think she definitely would have loved to have seen Jeff Buckley because she never got to. Um, aside from that, I mean, she loves lots of music I like. We've seen Yola Tango together about 45, 50 times. <laughs> um, I think her other favorite band is probably Luscious Jackson just because... I mean, she grew up with Lusses Jackson, Alternative Nation in the 90s. He's like strong, awesome New York City women rocking out. And she has lots of Lusses Jackson singles and vinyls and side projects. And I know that um, the drummer, Kate Schellenbach, my wife was in college. She saw Kate walking her dog on the street. My wife supposedly went up to her and said, it's you! Kate Schellenbach's response was like, yeah, calm down, calm down. <laughs> so probably like... Her dream show would be a vintage, like, 1996 Fever In, Fever Out, Luscious Jackson concert. But she likes a lot of bands. Um, yeah. take that triple no double answer as as your answer <laughs> um let's see uh these remember uh, scotty king here has a three-parter oh. so what what and i'm going to send this one i guess to to brian first um what was the favorite band of 14 year old you <laughs> um <laughs> all right i'm going to give you the honest answer 
as well as the answer I want to give because I loved two bands at the time. I know where my heart was uh, as a 14 year old. And that was in the uh, world of crappy punk rock. And I was a blink 182 devotee at that age. It's the first time I've ever admitted this on the podcast. Um, (laughs) I admitted it on Twitter once and I took immediate grief. So I I already regret this, but um, I also, the, the, Side of me that was looking towards the future was a diehard Smashing Pumpkins fan. And I would see the Smashing Pumpkins Mm. three times when I was 15 as they broke up in quotes uh, when I was 15. And uh, they did way more for me long term than Blink-182 did. But as a 14-year-old with bleach blonde hair who was... Terrible at skateboarding. I was uh, I was a huge Blink One Eighty Two fan. you do um faith no more who i still love to this day but when i was 14 years old i would listen to the faith no more album angel dust and the real thing on repeat and watch like faith no more videos and then try to hide the faith no more angel dust album from my mom because the penultimate song it's called crack hitler (laughs) and She didn't want you listening. It doesn't to have anything to do with like actual. It's just Hitler, just the name of the song, which is kind of like a secret agent type uh, 
thing. But that's yep. an amazing record. Yep. I loved it at 14. Still do. Cool. Cool. of Scotty King um, what was the worst decision you ever made at a show hmm okay the worst decision I ever made at a show was to leave <laughs> July 12 2013 from Jones Beach at Separate because <laughs> I think I had hypothermia that was played in a rainstorm in the wind at Jones Beach, I was cold, I was screaming, I was uncomfortable. I had had like an airplane sized bottle of bourbon, it wasn't getting warm. And that second set was great. I guess the rain supposedly stopped, and I had a second set it was like Tweezer, Cities with the Wedge Beat, Rock and Roll, Sleepy Monkey. Love that second set, but yeah. I didn't get to see it in person despite paying for a full price ticket. I was there. I stayed. It was great. I remember I was standing next to Ernie Sr. the whole time. It was incredible. Yeah, but you were probably under a tent. <laughs> uh, no, I think we we're right out in the audience. It was. You were uh, in the elements. The rain, uh, yeah, the rain was was basically horizontal. Yes. It was amazing. Yeah, it was unbelievable. <laughs> All right, my worst decision. So I did a bunch of shows in summer 2010 following spending the last year in South Korea and missing most of 2009. And I saw a bunch of East Coast shows for the first time. One of the shows I caught was Hartford the second night where they close out the encore with Sleepy Monkey into Tweezer Reprise into Tweezer Reprise again. And we get in the car and we drive up to SPAC for the next shows. And I was 
I said they're going to open tonight's tomorrow night's show with Tweezer Reprise for the first time since November 9th, 1995. And I was freaking out and I was so excited. And we get to the lot. <laughs> and meanwhile, my wife is telling me how we had lawn tickets. She said, we can't be at the back of the lawn. It's the worst place to be. You can't even see into the stage. So fast forward, we're walking into the venue. And she gets a call from a friend of hers who says, hey, are you at the fish show tonight? I'm walking in right now. So we wait at the gates for like 35 minutes and just watch people stream in. And the whole time I'm sitting there going, they're going to come on any minute. Like the crowd swell is like growing and growing. It's the first SPAC show since the tour closed of the year earlier. It's five year or six year anniversary of this 2004 shows to the exact date. And she goes, you can go in. We're wait. She's, she's going to wait for a friend. And I decided to be the good boyfriend at the time. And I waited with her and heard the final crowd swell and then heard from outside the venue. Mm. Ugh. That had made me so angry. <laughs> and I just hung my head. And I, you know, it was this moment where I like, we're married now. We have a kid. Everything is great. <laughs> but I was like, why did I listen to her in that moment? You know, what, what was wrong with like, I, I knew at that point in time where my loyalties should lie. And I lost. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. We're going to keep moving here. Um, this one, or two, I should say, uh, possibly a little bit more lighthearted. Uh, <laughs> you won't have to go into your memory banks as far, mm. I don't think, with this one from Eroniak Schweiss, who is at Real Dr. Worm. The only jam band I love is Fish. Is something wrong with me, and should I seek help? Well... No, because Fish is probably the best active jam band, and Fish touches on all different styles of music. And if Fish is the only jam band you like, that's perfectly fine. And plus, I can tell from your Twitter handle, Real Dr. Worm, which you're a very big They Might Be Giants fan. And that's one of those bands that has as much crazy history and arcana as Fish. So, I mean, not even that you like jam bands so much as you like bands that have huge discographies and minutiae and tons and tons and tons of live shows. So that's, uh, you have to really like TMBG to have that Twitter handle. So I don't think you're crazy at all. I have just a really quick response. Has, has he heard of the Grateful Dead? Well, okay. (laughs) 
that's called answering the question with a question, <laughs> which, which I think is allowed. All right. All right. Now, second question from Aroniak. I sometimes prefer the mellow jamming of 3.0 to the early 90s shows. How old am I? <laughs> I think this is a 3.0 noob insult disguised as a question. I'm going to go with mid 40s. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say 46. I'm going to I'm going to say you're someone who liked the Stephen Alchemist record that we recently touted on our top albums of the year so far and that you enjoy a cold beverage on your back patio. That's that's where I'm feeling. Yeah. That's not, doesn't sound like a terrible thing. No, actually. it's a good thing. I love it. Okay. All right, good. So maybe not an in- insult. Maybe I was wrong. Um, all right. Sam Tinberg has uh, a three-parter as well. All right. <laughs> all right. And his these, first... These people of, know of us three... way too well. Yeah. Well, his first of three questions is a two-part. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here it goes. Which state has better beer, Colorado or New York? And which state is better to see fish play in, Colorado or New York. Mm. Uh, as a Colorado as a Colorado resident, um, I will unanimously say New York to both answers. Whoa. Really? Are you I love you mean the Colorado gives you experience to, to answer that definitively? Is that what you, you mean by that? <laughs> That's what I mean by that. I, I okay I feel non biased here. I love New York, New Jersey beer that that's the best beer I've had in the entire country aside from maybe Northern California. And I've seen enough MSG shows plus enough Dick shows to know, look, Dick's is amazing. The feeling when you walk into Dick's on Friday night is that it's still summer and you walk out on Sunday, it's fall. It's this like transformative experience, but there's nothing like walking into the garden and that first roar from the crowd, you feel your feet just going like the ground (laughs) swelling below you. Even Randall's Island, it's New York without question. Okay. Right. I've never seen fish in Colorado, although, I mean, I've kind of been spoiled just by virtue of living in New York City and getting to go to a whole bunch of uh, shows at Madison Square Garden, shows at Randall's Island, Jones Beach, all the New York City area shows. As for the beer, I think Colorado might have had the advantage back in the early 2000s because they were kind of on the microbrew train, the West Coast and Colorado before a lot of the states were. But I think New York has caught up especially now that everyone's doing the hazy IPA thing. But I don't know. I mean, Colorado, I think pound for pound, Denver is probably a better drinking city than New York City. Mm. Tom, we have Tough to turn one. one of the we have to turn that question back on you. Which is a better place to see fish, Colorado or New York? New York there you without go. Uh, yeah. without hesitation. <laughs> I mean, I I've seen The Garden, man. And, and, and beer too. Yeah. I think only if only because I like industrial arts so much. It's such a great brewery, mm. and I and uh, I love it. And I can't think of an equivalent brewery in Colorado. But uh, the weird thing is, in New York, there's 20 that are almost as good as as industrial arts. So uh, I loved drinking beer in Colorado. We hung out there a lot. I've been in Denver a lot and Boulder a lot. So there's good beer. Uh, but uh, the only music I've seen there, I've been to Dick's twice, and I agree with you. The the walking in in summer, walking out in fall, it's amazing. But uh, I, I just I, I swing toward New York and Madison Square Garden. I have to say, there's nothing like it. All right, here we go. Sam Tinberg's second question is: 
How close have you come to giving up on fish? If you had a struggle, what brought you back? Okay. Uh, yeah, I would say 20, 2011. I only saw one fish show in 2011. It was December 30, 2011 from the Garden. I didn't think that was a very good holiday run. I didn't think that was a very good show. I was supposed to go see the Bethel Wood shows, but I had to go to a wedding instead. I just didn't find the band particularly interesting in 2011. I was wondering if I was starting to outgrow them. Was it them? Was it me? I wasn't sure, but they didn't play as big a role in my life as they used to, and definitely not as much as they do now. And I think kind of what brought me back was the summer tour opener, June 7, 2012, was a really serious fish show. It was like a show on a Thursday night in Worcester, and they didn't even sell it out. I'm thinking, fish can't sell it a Thursday night show in Worcester in June? But that show was a throwdown. It also kind of coincided with um, me discovering Fish Twitter and discovering um, there were fish podcasts before this one in HF Pod. I know um, good buddy Steve Olker kind of uh, started a little bit of the Fish Twitter thing, had a podcast called the Type 2 Cast, which I like listening to. So kind of realizing that there were lots of other fish fans out there in cyberspace, aside from just what you read on Fishnet, kind of brought me back a little. And it also coincided with summer 2012 as being a bit of a turning point quality-wise for the band in my eyes. So I'd say probably by the end of 2012 and definitely summer 2013, I was... I was totally back on board, but it definitely got a bit dicey in 2011. Yeah, I so I went to Coventry. I was that was my seventh and eighth shows, and I was devastated when the band broke up. Uh, a year later, I went and saw Trey with Seventy Volt Parade in Chicago, and I was not very into it. And I walked out of that show thinking that kind of this part of my youth had just gone away. And around that time, I was really starting to 
I was reading pitchfork.com pretty much every day and I was listening to a lot of indie rock and um, I spent most of 05, 06, 07 and 08 in a totally different world. I had maybe like three or four fish shows in rotation um, and then they came back and it all basically started the night that they came back. Uh, my brother actually got tickets and I didn't even ask him for a ticket. That was how far out of the loop I was. And then he texted me, you know, around eight Oh five, whatever, when they walked on stage with just all caps and then gibberish fluffhead. <laughs> and I texted my ex-girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. And that was what led us to both get jobs in South Korea and let us, let us to get married. And that summer I saw three shows. I saw Fenway and the two Alpine shows. And the thing that fully brought me back and made me just, I was downloading shows every day. I was on Twitter. I was on fantasy tour. I was in the whole group. I was, I was in the whole community again was I had a throw tickets on father's day and they came out for the second set and you can hear this on the live fish recording. There's a moment where Fishman lowers his boom mic and someone starts yelling cross eyed. And at the time it was like the rarest cover that there was. And they busted into it. And like that moment I was just like, that's the fish moment you're always waiting for. I was completely <laughs> back. And I spent the next year listening to fish shows live in the morning as someone would hold up their iPhone and, and tape them, uh, across, you know, the internet. And, uh, it was that I was, I was just totally back. So ever since then, there's, there's never been a moment. That's, I guess, the back on the train question. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, and even though I, even though I wasn't asked it, I never, I never had a struggle. I never, <laughs> you I, always knew. I was, I was never <laughs> off the train, but I was devastated by Coventry yeah. and the breakup. So. Yeah, man. So, yeah. Um, okay. This one, specifically for Brian. <laughs> why, why is Meat Stick your favorite fish song? <laughs> This is good because Sam's a good friend. Uh, I will answer this diplomatically. The July 15th, 1999 meat stick is one of my favorite fish jams of all time. And where was that? Where did that take place? PNC. Yeah. Got it. You, you, you right. should know that you, you played this next night. I'm, I may, I may have been there. Yes. <laughs> you may have been there. That was a hometown show. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, here we go. This one, this one is host of G. And I believe he, I assume it's a he, might be a her. Uh, they, I think, are referring to hosts, host of ghosts, right? Living mm, on my street. I like that. Okay. Yeah. So host of G starts out with some food related questions. <laughs> um, uh, but I think only to kind of get you not prepared for how deep he or she goes with the two follow-ups. Right. So I kind of cut through some of the food 
uh, silliness, but I decided to keep this one because I actually am. A, a, I have the same question floating around in my head. All right, here it is. Air fryer, future regret or game changer? <laughs> future regret. I, I, I think it's a, <laughs> I, 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 a yeah. Fad? You think I just it's think a it's fad? a fad. There's, there's so many more useful appliances that you will use every day, like the Instapot, the uh, the big KitchenAid stand <laughs> mixer. A really so solid I, toaster. I oven. have I have the Instapot, and I kind of think it's a future regret because I just never use it. Oh, we use uh, it all the time. The the sous vide is my like trendy fish buy that or food buy that I just use constantly. The air fryer, I think, future regret for a different reason, because when you realize that you can fry up mozzarella sticks in your house, you're going to do it on like every Saturday night. And there's a reason <laughs> that you have to go to like a dive bar to order mozzarella sticks. It should not happen in your kitchen. Mm. So future regret. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. I like it. Okay, great. Here we go. Remember how I said it was going to get serious? Yeah. Did fish tease Shakedown Street during the 2019 Toronto Golden Age? See minutes 7.15 through 7.45 in the live fish version. If not a tease, do you think that they noticed it happened? I did not notice this the first time. I don't know anybody that has ever talked about this except for host of G. I listened to it uh, today. Uh, this was the one preparation that we got. Mm. Uh, I believe that they tease Shakedown Street in a different key. The rhythm's there. The beat's there. They're not in the right key. But Trey clearly plays the like, doot, 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 doot. What do, you, what do you say, Dave? I also listened to it, and I disagree. While the jam is unquestionably Shakedown-esque, I don't think there's any one point where it absolutely sounds like it. Maybe Trey had it in the back of his mind, but in terms of like a full-on obvious Scott Marks tease, no. I don't. I don't think it. It. Neg- I don't think it should be included in Live Fish. I don't think Scott Mark should notate it, but I think that he is playing enough of it mm. to be in the zone. That's a good golden age, by the way. It's, it's like a really good golden age. It's 15 minutes. It's kind of cool. does a little, little extra. I have some issues with that set, but I do like that golden age. Speaking of golden age, speaking of golden age, guess mm. what? Host of, host of G has another question for you guys. <laughs> Which reigns supreme in bliss between A, Golden Age 2016 Las Vegas, and B, Chalk Dust Torture 1999 Camden? This is easy for me. Um, And, well, there's a reason why we let off this entire podcast series with the Camden (laughs) Chalk Dust. It is the Camden Chalk Dust. It is the bliss jam to end all bliss jams. That said, 
Dave knows this. I was not a convert to the Vegas Golden Age hype until Fish did the 10-28-16 dinner in a movie. And I was sitting on my couch watching the Golden Age, realizing it is... I don't know if I would go top five. I don't know if I'd go top 10, but it is one of the best jams of all of 3.0. They are so locked in. They are so hooked up. And the double peaks that you get in that jam are so special. I would actually, while certainly recognizing that the Canon Chalk Dust is deep, deep concentrated bliss, it's also relatively short. The really blissy portion is only about three, three and a half minutes long. Whereas the Golden Age from 102816 Vegas, it just builds and builds and builds. And then Fishman starts doing a full on swing at about 17 minutes. You can hear the crowd roar. And it just sends the place into a frenzy. Everyone is playing the slot machine and they've all come up sevens. And everyone's getting their cups out and the money's just spilling out. But that, <laughs> yeah, GM also has double peaks. They bring it down, they bring it back up. I, I, I'd say that's a top five jam with 3.0, and I've probably listened to it 17 times. So that gets my wow. vote while understanding that certainly the Canon Chalk Dust for historical purposes is uh, extremely good. I don't even know you. Oh, all right. <laughs> I was going to ask my own question, like, how did you guys find each other? Because you're tremendously compatible, but then that sort of, that's shattered, shattered that Shattered question. the illusion. <laughs> Yeah, right then.
So uh, I'm going to ask one instead uh, from Josh Collins at Josh underscore DW underscore Collins. Hello, Josh. Josh. Thanks for the question. And here it is. What album or artist do you secretly like, but don't often admit to because they're considered not cool? I know what 14 year old you (laughs) would say, Brian. This is a damn good question. Mine's ABBA only because I have a lot of Swedes in my family <laughs> and uh, it it pops out at every gathering. Uh, ABBA is on and I got to say there, those two guys are incredible songwriters, amazing songwriters. Oh yeah. So that's mine. Um, this also kind of dates back to when I guess I was 14 and 15 years old is I always, I love the band uh, live, their album Throwing Copper, but um, you know, nice boys from york pennsylvania very very earnest i mean most people agree that the first two records mental jewelry and throwing copper in terms of like mid 90s kind of radio alt rock are universally accepted as pretty good but i even like the two that came after it being um secret samadhi and i think their fourth album is called the distance to here that's the one with the dolphins cry on it, which has the video yes. where like <laughs> all the water that. comes down. It's it's so goddamn cheesy, and yet I don't know. I like throwing copper so much that I was completely on board with live albums number three and four. I, I definitely got off by album five, but uh, yeah, I I like live. At least I like those albums. <laughs> The way you're bathed in light Reminds me of that night God laid me down into your rose Garden of trust And I was swept away With nothing left to say Some helpless fool Yet I was lost In a swoon of peace You're all I need to find So when Time is right. Come to me sweetly. Come to me. I'm going to go with a selection that shouldn't be controversial, but I know is within our community. And I, I'm fully prepared to defend this to the death. Um, <laughs> and that's the Dave Matthews band. And, ah. and, and, and I'll be honest about this. Like I, I, so I would not be a fish fan if it was not for the Dave Matthews band. Um, I, got I into would not have band. ever gotten into the Dave Matthews band if he hadn't like performed on stage at fish in 1994. Interesting. I I got into them for the sole reason that it was cool to go to their concerts in middle school because you could do things that you couldn't do at other concerts. Mm. And Fish seemed very scary at the time, which I didn't realize they were just like a warm and loving family. But uh, when I got Fish, like the moment I got, got Fish, I was complete, like I couldn't listen to Dave Matthews anymore. And it continued for about 15 years. And then... I put on live at Red Rock shortly after I moved out here and I realized how great of a record it was. And I've since gone back. I don't listen to much between the Lily White sessions, 
basically after the Lily White sessions, aside from their like live releases. But um, I will ride incredibly hard for 90s Dave Matthews Band and especially for Before These Crowded Streets. I think that that is one of the stronger records of the last 30 years. That's a good I, album. Yep. But my, I, I, I'll just say my problem with that record is that they came out my freshman year, spring of my freshman year of college. So if you're going, if you're a freshman in 1998 and a Dave Matthews Band record comes out, there'll be seven people playing it on your floor at once. So it was like the Dave Matthews mega mashup. Like I'd walk down the hall and then it would be crazy. I'm sorry, Tom, you were saying. Uh, no, no, no. Just like, uh, I'm kind of with Brian. I, I never really kind of got the hate, you know, it's like, I remember, being at like Arrowhead Ranch when it was like, I, I like when everyone's friends, you know, I like when the <laughs> sure. Spin Doctors and Blues Traveler and Fish were pals. And sure. then before long, you weren't allowed to like those two bands, you know, it's kind of like I felt the same thing happen with Dave. Uh, if you're a Fish fan, it's kind of weird and I, I kind of don't get it. And sure, I'll put it on and my wife still likes it. So... Another, to me, like, I, I wouldn't know how to answer this, but I think you guys are probably going <laughs> to easily just sail through this one like uh, a walk in the park. I don't know. What's something that's easy? Here we go. Question for BTP. We've all missed great shows by a day or two. Mm. I'm granting you the power to take one show you attended and shift forward or backward one show oh, to see a great show you missed. I.e., instead of seeing 915-2000 in Hershey, I would hit up 914-2000 in Darien Lake. Oh, man. So what show are you guys not going to miss? And by the way, he says, thanks for all the great new music recommendations over the years and for highlighting many an under-the-radar fish jam. Mm. Um, all right, I'm going to make a really difficult call here, but it's the right call. Um, <laughs> the most joyous night I would argue of the entire Baker's dozen was double chocolate night, seven twenty eight seventeen. Friday, second Friday night. It was the moment where it felt like we're all settled in. We're a week into this thing and we still have a whole nother week. It's one of my favorite shows I've ever seen. 
still to this day, the Choctaw's torture is probably the happiest fish jam I've ever experienced live. <laughs> but my favorite show from the entire Baker's Dozen and my favorite show of all of 2017 is unquestionably Powder Night. And I had a chance to go to both Jam Filled and Powder Night. I was uh, in a weird limbo period in life where I was leaving a job and transitioning to another job that wouldn't start for about a month. And my end date at the job was July 26th. And I, for whatever reason, just like mapped it out to that. I don't know why. And when they announced the jam filled donut, the Sunday night of velvet night, my wife looked at me and said, just go to New York. We'll meet you there. And we'll go to the shows over the weekend. And I said, no, I'm going to be professional. And it has done me no good. All it's done. (laughs) All it did was give the company another 48 hours of my presence in their office and i missed jam filled night and which i love but more importantly i missed powder night where fish played one of the this best. is another one of those times where you didn't follow your wife's advice it's true. <laughs> she, she, knew. T- she, she knew. told you to go she told you to go in and see the tweezer reprise and she told you to go see powder night i should listen to her more right <laughs> i also missed probably the lone uh powder finger ever um which, you know, Tom, if you have any sway, mm. we would love to hear Powderfinger again. That's all I'm going to say here. Yeah. <laughs> no <Noted>. Powderfinger. <laughs> Look out, mama, there's a white boat coming up. With a big red beacon and a flag and a man on the rail. I think you better call. Let's see, my answer in the world of like fishy sliding doors, like Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, let's see, this would have been difficult to do because I was only 16, but I saw uh, December 2nd, 1995, in New Haven, Connecticut. That was my third show. That was the one with the very, 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 very fast, very but machine gun running on the treadmill tweezer. That show was fine. It probably is maybe the weakest December 1995 show. But if I could have moved on the fishy chessboard of life, I would have liked to go see December 1st, 1995, which is arguably my favorite two-set fish show of all time. That set list is flawless. I think it has the best version of Down at the Z's under 10 minutes. That's got the Forbins Hershey Park chocolate narration. That's got the incredible Mike's Week Epoch in the second set. I just, I eat that show up. When I woke up the morning of December 2nd and went on to the Prodigy Network, which was a thing back in 1995, and went to the fish board, <laughs> yep. looked at, the, looked at yep. the fish set list. I saw like 12 looked at the set list. I said, fucking A. 
And my mom said, what are you screaming about? I'm like, fuck, mom. Fish played everything. So, yeah, if I could go back in time, I would have found a way to get my 16-year-old self to uh, December 1st, Tom, do you have an answer for this? No. Well, I did miss that, and I don't know if it's exactly one day apart or if that was even a requirement in that question, but I did miss that Pink Floyd uh, oh, show wow. uh, right after the Vegas. You know, I, I, oh. and I had gone to that, oh, man. the Halloween. Yeah, so so maybe, but I don't know if I would have done it instead, right? Right, that's a tough that's, thing. That's, that's part of the requirement, so I don't know if I would have just changed it up and i went to every uh baker's dozen so i didn't have that problem uh no i can't answer this one uh the pink floyd one's tough though because that halloween 98 show i think was is really underrated historically and that was part of the reason that at least that i understand that they played pink floyd um but i love that velvet underground set i i would have loved to have seen that but yeah pink floyd is super special Yep. All right. Um, this is from Robert and uh, oh, Robert Kerr. There Bob he is. Kerr. Oh, Bobby. Hey, Bob. All right. You guys uh, seem to want a sports question from Bob. <laughs> from from Bob Kerr. Would you rather have your favorite sports team win a championship or have Fish put on another tour as good as Fall '97 again? Hmm. I've already gotten the greatest gift of my entire sports life in the form of Michael Jordan when I was a kid. And then the Chicago Cubs won a world series in 2016. Um, So I would certainly go with fall 97, but to make this question even harder for me, (laughs) I don't know how to answer that. If I take away like the Cubs world series, I don't know. I, I think I would go with the Cubs. Because you know why? You still have summer '95 fish. Yeah. Huh. I Got would. It. I would rather see the New York Mets win a World Series and see Fish play a tour as good as Fall '97 again. <laughs> We're gonna get a lot of you should just start a baseball podcast, guys. Responses oh. to that question. <laughs> That's oh. a really good question, though. That's hard, man. You know, like. Tom, you, did you see Fall 97 shows? I did. I did. I don't remember uh, particular shows like you guys can. I'm not that kind of person. And in fact, after a song ends, I sort of press a reset in my head and I'm like a blank slate for the next song. I don't sort of, I don't do the thing that a lot of people do, which is 
judge the whole thing by how good the set is. Sure. I'm like, I'm a song by song person. It's very unusual. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, and I understand. Yes. I don't tell many people that, but now I think I'm telling a few. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so no, I, I, I don't remember a particular amazing show, but back then uh, I was with my friend Henry at a lot of them. And I remember looking at him and he said to me, because he was just staring at me during a song. And I said, what? And he said, um, is there going to be a time when they don't just keep getting better? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, arguably, you know, maybe, maybe we hit it. But when was that peak? Who knows? I don't, uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to put. I'm totally. sure you guys have figured out that. But that's not a question for tonight. Tonight, we're going to ask a question from Rick Ivy. Rick! And, the man! Rick Rick, hi, Rick, and thanks for supporting not only Beyond the Pond, but pretty much every <laughs> Osiris podcast. You're a nice guy, and you write good things about Osiris podcasts, and you listen to all kinds of music and all kinds of uh, media, and you write very intelligently about them. And so, uh, such a good dude, super fan, such a super good fan, dude. Rick Ivy. And so, for that, we allow him to specify a specific question for Brian and one for David. Mm. So Brian, first, you talk a lot about traveling and the importance of certain records to you during those travels. Is there an artist or record that you feel is especially important to you right now living in quarantine? Right now. Yeah, I mean, I would go with a very simple answer right now because i think we need we have simple needs right now here in quarantine um the grateful dead are probably the most important band for me right now uh i've probably listened to a grateful dead show at least once a day right now because there's just something about the flow and the ebb of it and the way that they jam and the overall feel of the show that uh ultimately just sets me at ease um, but I will say if there's anything I'm going to take away from like a new musical discovery and new understanding of music, um, I've been listening to a lot of Aquarium Drunkard lately, especially based uh, Aquarium Drunkard Radio, and um, they play Alice Col- Coltrane all the time, and I have been on an intense intense uh listening project of just going through her records one by one and have just been mesmerized by every single one of them
great answer. And for David, we have a special question. Oh, by the way, I wasn't asked this question, but I'm going to answer that one anyway. My family seems to have not gotten over the awesome release of Sigma Oasis and the community aspect of the the listening party that we had. It sort of replaced fish concerts for the entire fish community, and everyone absorbed it so well, and it was such a great moment. And uh, I still, my wife still comes in after running and I hear what she's singing and it's, you know, it's the refrain from Thread or some, one of the verses in in, uh, Shade or something. And I can tell she's still listening to it. And the same with my daughter. They have not stopped listening. I haven't stopped listening. Oh, it's so cool. (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah. (laughs) So to me, uh, the the theme album of of this quarantine and COVID is right now at Sigma Oasis for me. There we go. Uh, David. Hmm. In your, in your interview on Daddy Unscripted, Ooh. which, by the way, I should say, is another Osiris podcast, you talked about the challenges you and your wife faced with the birth of your second child. Many people are facing personal adversity and really hard times. If they were to ask you, based on your experiences getting through all those difficult challenges, what one record should we listen to help us through these crazy, depressing, and anxiety-filled times, what would you recommend? Hmm. That's a deep question. God, I'm kind of in the same boat as Brian in the sense that, to me, nothing works better than 1974 Grateful Dead, and particularly um, the Winterland shows from October 1974, in particular nailing it down, the version of Eyes of the World from October 1974. That could be my favorite thing that the Grateful Dead have ever done. It's such a version of calmness, peace, and kind of, I guess, happy melancholy. It kind of makes me happy and sad in just equal measure. And I've listened to it, oh goodness, hundreds of times. I definitely listened to a lot when um, our daughter was, uh, I guess, we found out that she was going to need open heart surgery. She's doing extremely well now. She's just recent... Recently turned one, doing really well, running into everything. She's going to start walking soon. And if you would have told me that uh, May 2020 was going to be more kind of difficult than uh, <laughs> like July 2020 when the surgery took place, I mean, July 2019, I'd have uh, been very surprised. But here we are. But no, just like kind of like I find myself listening to The Grateful Dead a lot. I myself listen to Eyes of the World a lot, especially the 73-74 era has a very warm, lazy river kind of experience that's kind of melancholy and happy in equal measure. So get yourself some 74 dead and kind of just kick back. And I guess things will get better. Maybe that's kind of trite, but that's what I got for you. <laughs>
thanks. Um, and uh, looking at the last question, we're here, guys. Um, it's interesting. The way that it's asked is sort of like a yes or no uh, question, but I think it could actually spark a little bit of conversation, which is probably El Jefe 1970s intent. Mm. And it is, do you think Fish would ever do another Sicket style release mm. or put out some EPs? And I think possibly, at least my take on that is, is is he talking about are the, you know essentially jam outtakes from a studio session? That's kind of what, that what that's kind of what I think he's asking, like uh, like your Sigma Oasis jam sessions as they were preparing I would, for it. I would kill for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would, I would love that, <laughs> yeah. especially the sound that uh, who's that guy? Vance uh, Powell, the producer. Yes, yes. The, the sound that he got out of the band. Uh, in the studio i think it's like the best the barn has ever sounded yeah i mean i listened to sigma oasis while driving through the mountains about two weeks ago and like volume just blasting and it just enveloped my car in a way that like my personal favorite fish studio record is round room and it sounds completely different like that is as raw of a studio sound as possible but Sigma Oasis is, it's like the classic rock sound that Fish has always been. It's the classic rock studio sound that they've been enamored with in 3.0, but they actually realize that like the drums are so loud, the synths on it. Um, I mean, to this question, my dream record store day release, and you know, Tom, if you have any sway here, is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is uh, the Victor disc. Oh. Have you ever listened to that? No, hold on. I'm writing this right next to Powderfinger. (laughs) (laughs) What What is it? Uh, The Victor session. So uh, they booked, this was right around the time Round Room came out. They booked a studio in Midtown Manhattan. And I think the uh, engineer was, his name was Victor. And it's all improvisational jams. It's probably two and a half hours long. There's one song that's appropriately called 35 Minute Jam. There's another song that um, very much of its time is called Guantanamo Strut. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's, Did it leak? Have you heard all these? I've heard everything. You can find it on YouTube. I have it downloaded. Um, it was one of the first things I grabbed when I came back to Fish in early 3.0. And uh, that is as close to a sick counterpart as I've found, where it's just them jamming. So you'd like it, you'd, you'd like to hear that one with a little bit of uh, mastery implied uh, applied to the you know the, the final process. Absolutely, I think um, I similarly. I mean that would be great, but also like for record store day, if there's 
if there were outtakes from Sigma Oasis, the stuff that was left on the cutting room floor, like I know um, what I think there was a version of Sightless Escape that might have been recorded, Set Your Soul Free. Like I would have been very curious just to hear the stuff that came out good and was recorded, but I guess wasn't going to fit on the album. Maybe Epitaph Epitaph was recorded and, and they decided against it. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Didn't he say it was like yep. too new? He hadn't worked out enough yet or? Well, uh, all I, all I really know about, I, I honestly don't know what could have gone wrong, but uh, Trey and I have, you know, we spent a lot of time developing almost every aspect we can uh, together when we write a song uh, you know, we figure out the harmonies and he's, you know, very meticulous about chord changes and stuff. Doesn't leave a lot, um, you know, for, for later or for, for someone else to do in most cases. Um, and Epitaph to me is one of those that was like almost fully realized. And, uh, you know, to the few people that I've played it, I never give anyone a copy just because of the way things can spread. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'll play it for someone in my car and that one, more than any song of these outtake type type recordings that I've played for people, has blown people away 100% of the time. And I don't know what happened in the studio that it didn't it didn't come out right. It does it doesn't make sense to me. Hmm. But in any case, that's that to me would be included on this uh, dream album that we're talking <laughs> yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting because. Um... Like I've I've always I always found Thread um, it, it seemed like a challenging song for them to play live and when they were trying to play it live they 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 looked like they were working and uh, oddly enough one of my favorite live versions is from the Raleigh show in 2018 which uh, is kind of a throwback show it's kind of it's very loose and kind of sloppy in the best like in a really good way it just like flows really well and Thread is such a fussy song and feels like they have to work so hard. It's such a weird placement for it in that show, but it, it, it comes across great on tape. And then hearing that on the record, it was like this fully realized version of this song that always had so much potential. It's interesting that, um, a, they haven't played epitaph live, but also that it didn't show up on Sigma Oasis. Who knows? Yeah, in a way, I felt Epitaph was more realized than Thread. You're right. Uh, the word fussy did, to me, the live versions that I saw, I think I may have seen it twice, uh, didn't quite uh, didn't quite work. It kind of felt like, yeah, it wasn't really a fully realized song. On the album, however, it's awesome. Oh, it's is, one of my favorite recordings. Is the end of Thread, is that kind of like a nod to like Gabriel-era Genesis? Because I almost get like a 9-8, like Supper's Ready feel to kind of with the craziness at the end of that song maybe uh in terms of like the the timing or something right. possibly but but also like they're you're alone like the you know that sort of deep heavy metal thing is uh to me it was always kind of just like i would imagine trey locking eyes with some poor soul who might be you know have a, have a head full and trey talking to him and telling him he's alone that would uh you know do a number on on me anyway if that happened. <laughs> they finally figured out how to play that song in like Fenway 2019. That, oh, that was, that great was like the epic one set like two plus hour show. That's like the red is like okay now they they know what they're doing they can take it to the studio. But another rainy show. Oh god yeah yeah yeah. yeah. 
Guys, we hit the end of these amazing questions. You have quite a cool uh, group of uh, dedicated fans. Uh, thank you all for asking these questions. Yeah. And uh, thanks for the intelligent and amazing, you know, thinking on your feet answers <laughs> that you guys provided. And also thank you for letting me be the uh, tri host. What do you call it? When they co does co host still apply? Co host yeah, doesn't apply sure, too, yeah. right? Co host. I'm another co-host. Tom, <laughs> Tom, thank you for for hanging with us here as well as uh for for hanging with us in past episodes and and really like embracing what we're about. I think that one thing that we've always loved uh from a podcasting standpoint is the ability to look at fish from both a fan's perspective as well as like a critical perspective and use them as a springboard into other music and uh, you embracing the pod and you embracing us, you know, and what we're doing here has always meant a ton. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely, Tom. Thank you very much for helping us out with this. I know I've been looking forward to this episode for a long time, but the time has come that um, we got to think about recording episode 101. So we will absolutely do that. So in the meantime, thank you for uh, being along with us on this journey BTP fans, don't worry. We're not going to stop. We're going to keep making more of these and, uh, and more still. So come back in two weeks. We'll hold hands. We will fight fish myopia. We will stay inside and uh, social distance best we can and go beyond the pond. Beyond the Pond podcast is part of Osiris Media. It is co-hosted by David Goldstein and Brian Brinkman, and it is edited by Brian Brinkman.